Um, Saint Cooler was a beautiful child growing um, growing up. Um, as me as me being her father, you know, on the weekends she was always like to be with me, you know. And when I leave and go to work, she would cry, you know. Um, she was a daddy girl. She was very loving, very caring. She knew the Lord. She went to church. I'm just about to chill, man, because. Shanquilla Robinson was 25 years old when she boarded a plane bound for Cabo, Mexico on October 28, 2022. And sadly, only one day after arriving in Cabo, Shanquilla was pronounced dead. And she called me and told me um, she had passed. I just started crying. I just hollered. And he said, Mr. Robinson, a statement and what the autopsies um, re- review, it didn't add up. Impact of Influence, the Shanquello Robinson story, and our quest to find the truth and find justice for Shanquello. Hello, friend. Welcome. Matt Harris and Seton Tucker here. We're always grateful that you are spending time with us and uh, still working on that social media game. We're weak. If anybody wants to volunteer to be our social media guru, let us know. Yes, please help. We are not the best with technology. So we're still on Facebook, Murdoch Podcast, and you can still email Podcast at gmail.com. Last episode, we talked about the video with the Cabo Six and the beating of Shanquella Robinson. And today we're going to have someone on who can break down the differences in the two autopsies. So we have the autopsy from Mexico, which is not a complete autopsy, as we'll find out, but that has really got the controversy going because it says that Shanquella had a broken neck, basically, and would have died within 15 minutes. And the manner of death was considered violent. And... Recall that according to the one of the resort workers, the fight, I don't even want to, I hesitate to call it a fight because a fight means like two people are doing battle. The beating that Shanquella is getting from Dejanay Jackson is done at what, like sometime in the morning, right? Yeah, I think it was 7 to 8.30. So that's done in the morning. And the Mexican autopsy says she would have died within 15 minutes of the broken neck. Then we also have the police report that says the doctor's called about two o'clock. So there's a big gap there. What happened in that time? What went on between, say, nine or so and two o'clock? Yeah, I think that's really the investigation of what happened during that period of time is crucial. And the Cabo Six was going around saying that it was alcohol poisoning. So we want to break down the autopsies. The one that was done in the States was just released in April, their findings. And so that's why we bring in our expert. She's been on the show before. We love her. Dr. Michelle Dupree. She is a retired forensic pathologist, former medical examiner. She began her career in law enforcement with the Columbia City Police in South Carolina. She then became a detective with the Lexington County Sheriff's Department, worked undercover for a few years. After finishing medical school, she completed her residency in pathology at Duke and went on to complete a forensic fellowship in San Antonio with Dr. Vincent DeMeo, known as the father of forensic pathology. And we welcome to the show again, Dr. Michelle Dupree. Uh, Dr. Dupree, I've sent you uh, 
the autopsies from Mexico and from Mecklenburg County in North Carolina. First of all, let's go to the, let's start with the, the Mexican uh, autopsy. Is, I assume there's a difference as I'm looking at this one and comparing it just as a layperson. There's a difference in how this autopsy was done than would have been done if a similar thing had happened in the States. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. This, um, this actually, the one done in Mexico is more like a partial autopsy. And we have a saying that partial autopsies give partial results. Hmm. And what, what is, okay, so what is some of the big things, if you just saw this, you say, well, we're missing this, 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 and this. Well, we're, we're missing a lot, actually. Um, I mean, this is a very minimal autopsy that was done. And we're missing a really good description of the actual exterior injuries. Um, I mean, there are some that are listed, but they're not really, they're not very well explained. Um, normally, we measure any type of injury in three dimensions. Um, certainly, some of these are measured, but again, not to the extent that, that we would expect or hope here. And also the location. We identify that location um, in relation to other landmarks on the body so that if we ever have to go back and sort of reconstruct um, you know, the injuries, we would be able to do that. And, and that's not real easily done here either. And just the, I guess, the lack of thoroughness um, or completeness in some of these descriptions. Because the family noted when she came back to the United States, they observed a lot of bruising and stuff that was not noted in this initial autopsy. Exactly. And of course, the, the um, second autopsy definitely describes that. I will say that, um, and, and I used to keep bodies overnight that had blunt trauma because once the autopsy has been performed, bruises will show up a lot easier, a lot better the next day. Um, and I don't know that that, you know, I, I doubt that that was really done here. Um, but some of these, you certainly should have been able to see and describe um, in that initial autopsy. The death certificate in Mexico was released November 4th. The autopsy looks like the date was October 30th. And then when it came back to the States, it was first examined uh, on the 17th of November. And then they released the final uh, autopsy report on April 12th. So. That is from the time they did the autopsy in Mexico, about two weeks. A lot of change can happen in a body, I'm, I'm assuming. Yes, absolutely. Um, the body was um, embalmed, um, in, I assume, in Mexico. And um, so that's also going to you know, make a few changes. But actually, as you know, that's a preservative. So we would still be able to gather um, a good bit of information. Well, let me ask you this. It doesn't appear as if there were any sort of toxicology tests conducted in Mexico or the U.S. Would embalming prevent a toxicology result? Most likely. It would certainly prevent any results from um, blood or fluids in the body. And depending on the um, thoroughness of the embalming, sometimes we are able to get toxicology results from tissue, say from muscle samples or something like that. Um, but it's not always accurate. And so you're right. Um, if there were toxicology results done um, in Mexico, they're, they're not really listed. I did note that the um, North Carolina pathologist spoke with the pathologist in Mexico, and they discussed um, some of the toxicology results. 
um, which one would be alcohol specific. But um, that, that person noted that there was at least 10 hours difference. And as you know, alcohol is going to um, dissipate. And so I'm not sure how um, accurate those would have been anyway. And we don't see them reported. Right. So uh, if someone dies from alcohol poisoning, you would need to run that test within a small hour window to, to determine that? No, there are, there are other ways. And what we like to do is we like to um, not just take blood and urine samples, but we like to take vitreous, which is from the inside of the eye, because that lasts a lot longer. And it tells us um, a lot about the anti-mortem condition of not just electrolytes and things like that, but glucose levels and even alcohol. Um, and so that's a very useful fluid to take, but it was not done in this case. And you only have a limited window? I mean, you can't wait two weeks to do that, can you? Or can you? Probably not. Okay, and I say that with a little bit of hesitation because, um, you know, every case is different. Mm -hmm. And yeah. as long as we know the time frame, um, then we can we can figure out how, how the results would have shifted. Okay. And again, one, one thing that we like to compare often is the blood level with the urine level because, as you know, anything that is in the urine has already passed through the body and anything that is in the blood is acting on the body now. And so if we compare those two levels, we can often um, estimate, I guess is probably the best word, um, the, the, the anti-mortem levels of whatever that drug substance may be. So on October 30th, they do the autopsy. It's been, it was reported, at least. Now, you can say what, the, what it may really say. They noted that Chanquella's body had a head injury and concluded that Chanquella's cause of death was a broken neck. That's the report. Now, does that what it actually says in this autopsy? In the, um, in the Mexican autopsy? Yes, yes, yes. It, yes, it essentially does. But that was unfounded in the subsequent autopsy. With what you see, uh, what was released by the Mexican autopsy, is there proof of that or is it just a conjecture? Is there things you see in the autopsy that would lead you to believe that or is it just something that's a note of sort? Well, it is stated in the autopsy okay. um, that, there, that there is a subluxation. Um, what is that? I Explain what that is. Okay, so it means basically a dislocation. Of the, of the vertebrae and where the, um, where the skull attaches to um, the vertebral bodies in the neck. I did note in the um, Chapel Hill autopsy, um, they did not find that. They did not have that finding. And um, again, the, the body was not opened in a way that we normally do um, here in the U.S. so that we can see a lot of what has gone on. And I think that that was you know, part of the issue is that... Um, it just wasn't dissected the way that we normally do. You're talking about in Mexico, they declared the broken neck without doing the kind of procedure that would really prove it. Exactly. Okay. So we moved to the, the U.S. autopsy. Yes. And that came out fully released in April, not too long ago. And the big takeaway was of that, that they, that they did not see a broken neck. Um right. I know this sounds crazy, but is there any way that the status of that break could have changed in those weeks or due to autopsy or due to you know anything? No. Okay. No, because we also look for, obviously, you know, the, the dislocation, but we also look for hemorrhage around the area to show that the, or, there was an acute injury and that the person was alive at the time. And again, none of this was documented in the second autopsy because that wasn't their finding. 
And it said it was her cause of death was inconclusive. And what does that mean from a professional standpoint? Basically, it means we don't know. Um, and, you know, in reading through the both autopsies, um, there is a lot of trauma. There's a lot of um, abrasions, which are basically, you know, scratches, um, which doesn't mean that they're insignificant, but they are described as superficial, but they're all over her body. Um, and then, of course, there are some other things that we have to just medically know that would happen in certain conditions. There was some what, what they believe um, is food particles in her airway and in her lung. She may have aspirated. If she did have alcohol on board and if she had passed out, um, she may have vomited and then aspirated that. We don't know that. We can't tell that from this. Um, there's also um, a hypoxic um, brain injury, which is just lack of oxygen. Um, she could be she could have passed out in a position. I think she was found in the bathroom. Yeah. She could have passed out in a position that basically blocked um, oxygen to her brain. Um, you know, someone someone can actually hang themselves sitting on the ground, um, and that's really? because of the position. Yes, that's because of the position they're in. That could be the case here. Um, it's called you know positional asphyxia. Um, her trachea and her hyoid bone were completely intact, so we know that there was no strangulation. Um, there was other things that we would normally find. We can rule out a lot of things, but again, ruling in things that actually happened, we we just don't have enough information in a timely manner. Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in. And you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion. It's instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals. You read stories. You participate in dialogues. So you are ready to go. It's the most trusted, time-tested app out there. They've been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Buy Rosetta Stone now and you never have to pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. Were some of the injuries could be even scratches, I don't know, based on the resuscitation efforts, like the CPR and the defibrillator? Yes, yes ab absolutely. Um, typically, you know, when there's CPR done, they, they, there may be even rib fractures, but they're in a specific location. Her abrasions are basically all over her body. Mm. They're on her abdomen, her chest, her back, her, her hips, her legs, her arms. They're all over. And they're what they are describing here is patterned injuries. So these are injuries that were um, caused by some type of an object. Oh. Um, and they're oh. linear. Um, and this is something that we would use to describe. Um, and again, not saying that this is what happened, but if someone were hit with a rod, um, you will find pattern injuries. They will be cylindrical, measuring, you know, perhaps four inches um, long and an inch or so wide. 
um, they'll have some sparing of um, coloration in the middle where the rod actually strikes. Well, you were saying scratches earlier. I was thinking maybe human fingernails, but you're saying these these these, these scratches and these marks were look like beating. They certainly could. Um, the the thing that um, a lot of them are described as superficial, and again, most um, most beatings are you know are not superficial. They're they're okay. done with force, and so again, that's a little um, I got you. anomaly. Um, and again, I think this is what makes it so difficult to say for certain what the actual cause um, and therefore the manner of death would be, um, because there are so many possibilities. Um, you know, again, just the aspiration from perhaps passing out and, and vomiting and then inhaling that and blocking the airways, you know, which would be, you know, an accidental um, death. Um, but then you can't explain all these other scratches and abrasions. So there's just there's just a lot that we don't know. And I think that the best um, answer to that is to do exactly what, um, um, you know, what North Carolina did. And, and that is to call it undetermined. Because that leaves it open so that if additional information is found, then we're able to actually, you know, go farther and, and, and process the case even more. Right. So that doesn't mean it wasn't necessarily a homicide. It just they're, they're not sure. Correct. Was there any information missing from the autopsies that could have helped the doctors make their determination? Well, again, I, I think that the North Carolina autopsy is is very complete and very thorough for what they had at the time. I don't think there's any more that we could probably gain from that. And so really what it boils down to now is the investigation part. Um, and that, you know, that time has passed now. Um, you know, that's something that would need to be done with the people that were present um, shortly before her death and, and during that time. Um, and other than that, as far as physical evidence... I don't, I don't really see that there's much more we could learn from this. Okay, so the Mexican autopsy said broken neck, which we learned from the state autopsy that there wasn't a broken neck. But let's say there was a broken neck. Does that person die within 15 minutes? Um, and, and, you know, and again, um, that, that does vary. Um, that's reasonable. Um, you would lose conscious certainly before that. Um, and it may not take quite that long, just depending on how severe it really was. Okay. How about when she's aspirating or, or, or vomiting or uh, if her head is in the, in the position where it's almost like she's hanging? How long does that take? Let's say that, you know, somebody is choking you with their hands um, and you pass out. You pass out within, you know, probably a, a few minutes, a couple mm -hmm. of minutes, maybe. Um, they're choking both sides of your neck. Um, if they if they let go, you wake up. If they don't let go, then you you die. If you are only, let's say you're sitting down and you you're in a position that one of your carotid arteries in your neck is occluded and not not giving oxygen to the brain, then it's going to take much longer. You can still um, die from that, but only one side is being cut off. And again, it's that lack of oxygen and how soon or how long the brain is without it. So anywhere from, you know, a few minutes, several minutes to maybe 15 would certainly be reasonable. But once you stop it from being cut off, then you're not going to die from that unless your brain, unless your brain dead or whatever. But I mean. Right, you, right. Yes, yes. As soon as you release the pressure, then, you know, you will you regain consciousness. When there's something like 
a, a beating, and we're not going to talk about this specifically, but in general, when somebody's beat up, uh, can they possibly die hours later from a beating or, you know? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely, yes. Um, the internal examination of the organs um, did not prove this, but in some cases, you may have a lacerated spleen or you may have a lacerated liver where you bleed internally. Um, and you can it can be several hours later that you actually succumb to death. In this case, we didn't find that. Um, but if she were passed, if she were if she were beaten, um, if she passed out, and then if she aspirated, that could be some time in there that that took. Uh, you know, it could even take maybe up to an hour or so, um, or it could be sooner if the aspiration was significant and completely blocked the airway. Not guessing on this particular case, everybody, but let's say something happens. Someone gets beaten uh, in the head, because that rules out the organs you mentioned. They're right. be- beaten in the, in the head. That causes them, perhaps, to aspirate, because concussions can cause you to throw up or whatever, right? Right, right. And you could be alive for a while, but the cause of the initial the head injuries could have caused what led to things down the road. Is that a possibility? It is. Um, it is, actually. And again, of significance, is that there were no skull fractures found. Um, ah. So you can have a, what we call a coup and counter coup injury. If you, um, <laughs> if you picture your brain as a basketball in a tub of water and you hit one end of the, the tub, the basketball bounces from one side to the other. That's coup and counter coup injury. So your brain will have these injuries, possibly even bruises or contusions with some bleeding, um, but definitely swelling. And if that swelling is such over a period of time, again, depending on the severity of the injury, it causes a midline shift. So it causes the, um, the medulla, which controls your breathing, to become out of place, and then you would die. Um, and again, it depends on how rapidly that happens, how significant um, the swelling is, and all that. So there's just so many, again, there's just so many things like this that we, we don't know. Did we see swelling in the brain in... The autopsies? Uh, it is not described, no. And um, there, there is hypoxic ischemic brain injury, um, which does mean that there was lack of oxygen. Okay. Um, microscopic examination was done, um, and so it does show some of these things. It also shows some subarachnoid hemorrhage, um, again, which typically is from some type of a um, strike um, you know, to the brain. Um, and... That, that causes that hemorrhage that doesn't usually um well in many cases it doesn't really cause death um but it certainly could um there is also um you know sections were taken of the spinal cord and, and different parts of the brain that really didn't show significant injury are there any other observations that you have before we let you go um no again i would just um something that we often see is something we call pertinent negatives and they can be just as important as what we do find. And I think this case has a lot of those. And, and some of those we certainly already talked about, like the lack of skull fractures, um, you know, the, the lack of injury to the hyoid um, bone or the thyroid. You know, we, we can rule out manual strangulation. So there's several things like that that we can rule out because of these pertinent negatives. But we just don't have enough to rule things in. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Michelle Dupre, you're... One of our favorite guests of all time. We always appreciate Thank it. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. We'll talk soon. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. If you want to reach out to Dr. Dupree, it is D-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, D-Michelle Dupree, D-U-P-R-E-M-D.com. D-Michelle Dupree, M-D.com. It is 
always a pleasure to talk to Dr. Dupree. Uh, we had a comment from our Facebook page, which is still titled Murdoch Podcast. We hope to be transitioning that over soon. And this person says, I love this podcast from start to finish. I, they're referring to a Murdoch podcast. But well, if it is over, which it's not, we're still covering that. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are working on the Shanquilla Robinson story now. The transparency of your reports and shared information is the best. And we will just follow it wherever it takes us. So we appreciate that. And we hope that our true crime people will stick with us. Impact of influence. Yes. And more cases to come. We love it. We got a lot of recommendations on cases we should take up. We're working our way through them, but we're going to continue the Shanquella Robinson case. And again, as we said, uh, still Murdoch Podcast on Facebook and Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. We're always grateful you spend time with us. And we'll talk soon, friend. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.